Welcome. In this episode, we'll be looking how to improve working capital while working remotely. Welcome to the Working Capitalists. So today, Brian, we're going to be talking about improving your working capital while working remotely. A lot of companies right now have remote workers at a level that they've never had before. People working from home in all kinds of roles where people have never imagined it before. And how do we improve working capital while having our workers all remote? We don't know how long this is going to go on. So we wanted to talk about today some strategies around how to do that. Would you like to start, Brian? Sure. My thoughts on this is when I started my career, we all went to the client's office and we spoke to people and had meetings with them and sat by their desk and found out all sorts of things. And largely, we didn't have the kind of data capabilities we have today. Yeah. So I'm showing my age when I say things like that, but it's true. But that's completely changed because now we have very powerful data analytics, which means, uh, you know, from my perspective, for the last eight years, what I do now is extremely data-driven and not anecdote-driven. And that basically means that there is no need oftentimes to be on the client side to find out what's going on in that kind of analysis space. And that's worked out very productively uh, over the last eight years because from that, it means that I can quickly diagnose exactly what the problems are. And of course, it's very convenient for the client because one, I don't need to be around all the time. They don't need to be bringing me for lunch, all this kind of stuff, yeah, or having an office allocated to me, which those things tend to be in demand. But it also means that they come up with some extremely succinct answers quite quickly. And then moving on, because the other great argument is, well, how can you implement change when you're not physically there? Because the traditional thing is, again, we have meetings, go to lunch with people, either befriend or cajole or whatever the case may be. And largely, you know, we've seen the huge revolution in video conferencing of the last two months, which has actually shown to an awful lot of people that you actually don't need to physically be there to almost do anything apart from specific team type meetings, which there's not many of. Right. And the remote data piece to me is very interesting because data analysis, again, is an expertise that everybody doesn't have in their organization. And so sometimes you can't afford or you can't get a hold of the person who has that capability. And being able to just job that out to somebody who that's their expertise seems like a perfect solution. And it does not require face-to-face -face contact. But what kind of data analysis would we be doing to improve working capital? I mean, inventory analysis, from my point of view, obviously, absolutely, I can pull the inventory data. There is still some review of the results that's absolutely required to make sure that the output of the analysis is relevant and is correct from the company's point of view. But that also can be done remotely. That can be done in a video conference. And so I don't see any need anymore for direct physical contact in order to get a very accurate view of your inventory position, for instance. And the same goes for payables and receivables. I totally agree. I had an assignment two or three years ago. and The client's office was in Chicago, and I was still living in the UK at the time. They sent me the data, and I crunched the data and I sent it back to them. You're absolutely right about the verification process. That definitely was required. And the only thing that was not obvious from the data was that they had a whole bunch of customers who appeared to be on 120-day terms and were paying in three days, who, of course, that was happening because of supply chain finance schemes. 
that was the only bit that had to be verified. But again, I could see that from the data to say, hey, there's something weird going on with these guys. Tell me what that's about. Yeah. Um, that whole process between the actual data analysis took about 10 days. Yeah. And we're talking millions of lines of data here. That verification process, we went through in gross detail, because that's the way these guys wanted it, and quite rightly so, over about a two-hour period on a video conference. Mm -hmm. That was it. And yeah. then they can decide what they want to do with it. It gives them a data-driven approach for whatever working capital project they may have or their targets for the year, whatever it is that they need to use the data for, that becomes an internal discussion. And they may look for external help with uh, moving that forward or not, but that's really up to them. The analysis gives them an unbiased view of what their working capital position is and what the real opportunities might be. Absolutely. And I think that it de-risks the situation for a lot of people because the traditional way was you had to start kind of a big box program. You were already spending tens of thousands of dollars on the assignment and you had no real idea at the very start to say, is there anything in this? Because it's going to look pretty embarrassing if you spent a lot of money on something only to find out that there wasn't very much in the tin. Yeah? And the, the process I'm describing means it can be done quickly, uh, it can be done extremely accurately. And uh, of course, the cost is low, both in terms of you're not paying a dozen guys from a big four who are on day rates to do the same job for over a much longer period. And you're not paying for, take the Chicago case, I mean, flights to and back from Chicago and hotels and car hire and all that kind of stuff, simply not required. And the thing is, that scenario is true whether or not we are in the current situation where we're not allowed to travel. Even if things change, there may be an opportunity for us to do this kind of work remotely, even under more, shall we call it, normal operating circumstances. But the other question is, how do we actually, because we're talking about analyzing and setting good targets, but how do we actually improve working capital while working remote? Because from an inventory standpoint, you still have to sell things. You still have to move things around. All of that still has to happen. I used to learn a lot doing a dust and rust, which is walking around a, a warehouse to see how much old inventory there was. I still talk to buyers and I'm appalled that buyers buy things that they don't know what they look like. Uh, I think from an inventory project standpoint, it's still important to understand the physical characteristics of the product that you're talking about. I couldn't agree more. And certainly when I was in, well, for pretty much all of my career, one of the things, if, if I do end up on site, I'll say, walk me around the factory, walk me around the warehouse. Yeah, I want to see all this stuff. I want to see who it comes from, the capital equipment, etc etc so i get a picture in my head who are the suppliers what are the products what are the constraints that customers place on you because they want this one to be a blue one and that one to be a red one and etc etc and it's very difficult for anybody to get a really good idea of that unless you've actually seen the process in action now i think one of the benefits of experience is that many of these things i've already seen so uh there's certain particular types of you know engineering i'm sure you're the same lane yeah. there's just things you've seen so if you go to a, a similar type company again you don't really need to have the factory tour because you know the way it works you know exactly the way it's going to operate and the way possibly it shouldn't operate in some cases yeah? and that is the benefit of experience but certainly as a learning process quite frankly i've always enjoyed it i mean you always learn something when you go and look around and see not just bad stuff but some pretty good stuff too 
Yeah, so there is still value to that physical presence, but it is possible, too, to drive some initial changes because the data will direct us towards some things. We'll find out whether the biggest opportunities are in slow-moving products that we're holding too much of or that we have a cost opportunity because we're expediting too much product. There are all kinds of things we'll learn from the data that we don't have to be there to understand and that we can help to focus people in the right direction. I think also, so many big four consultants, quite frankly, they pad out their assignments by asking hundreds of completely irrelevant and useless questions, which they have to do to justify their presence. Whereas if you actually take the data-driven approach, you actually zero in on what the real issues probably are. Therefore, you don't have to ask 200 irrelevant questions. You're probably asking less than 10 highly relevant points to whatever the value proposition is going to be. Right. And it's important to the client to have that focused approach. I often tell my clients, the one thing I can promise you is I'm not going to waste your time because you can't afford it. I can't afford it. I'm just not interested in it. And I'll use a uh, questionnaire approach with clients in conjunction with the data analysis. We'll just do a survey and that we can do that of multiple employees, a 20 question maximum survey that they fill out on their phone if they want to. And that also gives us a better idea of which of the processes are causing the issues because the people in the company know. And so all you need is honest answers from people in disparate areas of responsibility. And you'll find out or confirm, because a lot of times we're working for finance folks and we'll be confirming their suspicion or confirming their idea of where the issues are or finding a new place where they thought it was one place and it's another, but we can point in the right direction without ever going on site. I totally agree. And I've had this with numerous organizations with a worldwide presence and hundreds of plants, literally. And whatever about just the logistics of going to all these places, you know, it'd be uh, like painting the fourth bridge if you even tried. You, you just never get to the end of it. There's also other issues like you've worked in China a lot. Um, just getting into China and getting visas and so on you know, is a difficult process. And China's not the only place. There's other countries like that too. So you take away a lot of that pain, and it means that you can move much, much more quickly. I mean, I had one instance with an uh, agri-food group, and they had operations everywhere from China, North America, all across Europe. Yeah. And, uh, and we needed to get the whole analysis phase done pretty quickly. And across 50-plus plants, we were able to get it done in four weeks. Mm -hmm. That's the yeah. data, questionnaires, getting the answers back, verifying answers and so on. You can move at really, really fast pace, as well as being far less intrusive to the people in the business who every time somebody comes along asking some weird load of questions, you know, they're thinking, oh no, this is just getting in the way of my work. Yeah. Which right. often does do, let's be honest. Yeah, and also sometimes when you come on site like that, there might be cultural issues and things that you don't have to deal with with a questionnaire and the fear factor where they're trying to protect their job and trying to manipulate the results of your survey. All of those things can be moderated when you're using a survey. But I think also from a, from a change management point of view, the standard process of the minibus of consultants showing up uh, can create enormous anxiety. Um, whether it was meant to be done or not to be done. And then when you get to the, the next phase of you have your conclusions and you know what you want to go and implement, that can actually make it more difficult because that anxiety can 
get people to paint pictures in their head, which uh, are just about fear rather than truth. Right. And it can take a lot of time and effort to overcome those with the real issue. Yes. But one of the things that I'm certainly interested in, I know, Lane, you do a lot of training. How has that changed in recent months for you? Because you can't do the face-to-face stuff anymore. Right. Well, even prior to this event, I was doing quite a lot of virtual training, which to me, just so you know the terminology I use, when I say virtual training, it's instructor-led remote training. So using video conferencing capabilities to bring face-to-face training to people. And those have increased doing more of that kind. But surprisingly to me, companies are also looking for more self-paced training, more online customized self-paced training. And the key there is that it should be customized to your business because there's a lot of off-the-shelf training. And if you want somebody to learn how to use Excel, that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about because those courses are available, hundreds of them online. Some of them are very, very good. But if you want someone to know how to follow your process for placing an order in your system, that is not available on YouTube, or better not be. So developing those kind of process trainings for people that can be done very quickly, one of the problems people are having right now is onboarding. How do you onboard someone when you can't actually bring them in? You want to hire somebody, you want to bring them in, but you don't have a way to train them. You don't have a way to show them how to do their job. And so we can actually produce a short video that will demonstrate how to do that. Again, what you were saying, quick, reasonably priced. And you have to realize that this is going to be a video that's only going to be used for a short time because when your process changes, it's not going to be relevant anymore, right? You don't want to make Ben-Hur. You're not trying to do something that's using all of the latest bells and whistles and you know, just good quality, clear communication. That's what people are looking for. Most people couldn't afford the chariots either. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. And if you can't afford the chariots, that isn't where you should be spending the money, is the truth. You want clear, concise communication of how to do things. And that's how you drive down working capital. You change processes that actually improve your cash flow. And that happens through changing processes. And you show people how to change processes by demonstrating what it is they can do differently. And the online training is a very powerful tool to do that with. Yeah, I think what's very interesting about the the video medium on this is that it used to be that uh, training videos were things that were done by professional production companies and professional actors very heavily scripted and so on. And, and some of them could be quite good. Lots of them weren't, but some of them could be quite good. But then you'd have the same video being rolled out year after year after year after year because it was a very expensive thing to do. Yeah? Right. Whereas now all these technologies have become remarkably cheap, which means that the idea of I do something and maybe I need to refresh it in three months' time, that is much more economic now than it's ever been. Exactly. The thing is that good production values are still important. Reasonable lighting, excellent sound, and somebody who knows what they're talking about and can speak clearly. These things are critical for any good training video. And sometimes you have somebody internal who can do that. And we've actually done that. We've actually pulled in an internal resource and have them as the person who does the voiceover because they know exactly what the process is and they speak clearly and are able. But sometimes your best performer is not your best communicator. And so just giving them the support to get their knowledge out there is a very valuable exercise. 
and uh, recording that so that it's not only in their head. Some of the companies we've been working with, we're working with people who are on their way out as far as retirement, and we're trying to capture what they do to have it available for their successors so that they have some of that information to carry things forward. I think one of the other interesting things is then, you know, once you've done your analysis or training and all that kind of good stuff, is how do you make sure that change actually does get implemented and that you can actually see the progression? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of different ways you could do that. I work with one client who does an analysis annually in November to show progress, to show real progress. All companies don't have the buy-in from the executive level to do that kind of thing. So at the very least, you have to have the right kind of metrics in place to show that you're having the cash flow impact you expect to have. And I think that's a very important point there about metrics. And I think, you know, it's quite interesting because in a smaller company, they tend not to have had the capital investment and things like ERPs and reporting suites and so on, because they're just not big enough. They just, they just can't afford that kind of stuff. But then when you get the, the really big corporates, oftentimes they've become so complex with so many different systems talking to each other all over the world that they find it extremely difficult just to get all the data together, never mind actually turn it into something meaningful. And uh, I still think that's a situation which goes on and on. And more of what I'm seeing is that companies are buying software, which is now very good at consolidating that kind of data. So now the idea that you've got millions of transactions going on, which before just turned into a big black box, now people are starting to get meaningful information out of that. I think on the working capital front, a struggle for many companies then is, okay, I, I now have amassed all this data, so what should the measures be? And right. how should I do it? And what are the kind of things, you know, the outliers that I'm looking for that I should be taking action on and all this kind of stuff? And that's still a very difficult process for many companies because mm -hmm. they just don't know the answer. Yeah, and those metrics, those key metrics can be different based on industry, based on your company's goals. There are all kinds of things that go into those decisions that need to be thought through. And I see a lot of companies that stick with old metrics, even when the purpose of their company or their focus has changed. And so the metrics stop driving the performance that they're looking for. And they're afraid to change them because they go, well, then I can't compare year over year. Well, there are ways to handle that. You probably still have past data and you could run your new calculation on the old data in order to look for your trend. There are all kinds of things that you can do to keep your metrics fresh. Well, I think the other thing, you see lots of business intelligence products. And quite frankly, many of them really annoy me because on the one hand, from a software capability, I mean, some of them are extremely powerful. But of course, what do they do? They walk in the door and say, right, well, you have to define exactly what you want and then we'll go and build it for you. And that's an extremely expensive and time-consuming process. And that's why I don't know, Lane, I work with a Belgian company called Cash Horse, and they have a working capital suite, which is basically pre-built. And the idea is that you don't have to spend all the time on all these definitions of this, that, and the other. It's basically straight out of the box, plug your data in, and you've got the answers. So you're looking at your receivables trends, your inventory trends, payables, it's all there. And, you know, like I said, I've been working with these guys for about five years and uh, some of the results that we've been able to get with clients has just been absolutely excellent because you skip that whole, what I'll call the debate stage of mm -hmm. what should be included in this measure or excluded in this measure. You know, should we be looking at P 
purely third parties or what about intercompany settlements and all that kind of nonsense. You cut through all of that really quickly. That sounds like a great tool. I haven't seen their stuff. It's pretty, well, put it like this. When I saw it first, and I tend to be quite skeptical about these things because uh, I've seen quite a number of uh, uh, pretenders, shall we say. And I told these guys, I said, listen, I've seen lots of this stuff and usually, you know, it promises great things and then doesn't deliver. But here we are five years on, yeah, and it does work. And of course, similar philosophy in terms of it also doesn't have to cost the earth, which yeah. I think is very important. Well, it's very important for companies anyway, but I think going through the period we are now in 2020, it's not as if all companies have loads of money to shower on their little pet projects. I think that that's, that's kind of over for a while for most people. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. And I think it may, may be over for quite a long time. This is the kind of thing that changes people's behavior for the long term. Yeah, and it's a kind of a sensible change, isn't it? Because yeah. usually when we're all doing very well in life, we kind of get a bit comfortable with things, you know, maybe too comfortable. Mm-hmm. So if we were going to summarize how we would improve working capital while working remotely, what are the three things that we would do? The first thing, Lane, is it needs to be data-driven all the time uh, in terms of what the opportunity is. The second thing is we really need metrics yeah, to tell us what are our targets and are we achieving them or not. And the third thing is you know, the technology that's around, whether it be video conferencing, business intelligence, there's a load of things out there that can make this process much, much easier compared to the traditional process of change. And we should be embracing them if we're not already. I agree with you completely. And I would add a fourth thing that you have to make sure that the people understand the change. Change always needs to be driven from the top of the organization and implemented by the bottom of the organization, right? So the people who are implementing need the tools and need to understand how to use the tools that they are supposed to be using to drive that improvement. That's what drives the change is when you have the top of the organization that's committed to it and the bottom of the organization that has the tools, then you'll see the improvement happen. Totally agree. Thank you, Brian. You have been listening to The Working Capitalists. Thank you for listening. In the next episode, we'll be talking about the impact of robots on the supply chain.